We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about grief brain. Grief brain. What are we talking about, Carolyn? We are talking about grief brain, John. (laughs) Good. You didn't forget it yet. All right. Um, Before we do that, what's been going on with you lately? Anything new? Yeah, John, so no great excitement this week. I've been mainly continuing with lots of my rehab appointments, but I did have a bit of a moment this week where I guess I was starting to feel, why the fuck did this have to happen? Why me? But, you know, I acknowledged it and I sat with it for a while because I know it's okay to have these days. And I learned that after Tony died. So now I'm back on track again. And I guess I've looked for those moments in between that hard stuff, the moments of, you know, joy where I was spending time with my grandkids, the moments of getting back to doing this work that I love. So um, I think that's important as well to look for those little glimmers of hope in our day. How about you? How's your week been, John? Yeah, I mean, that's 100% normal and to be expected, okay? It's not that you need me to coach you, Carolyn, but I'm just going <laughs> to for a second. I, I think it's important that we hear this type of stuff from our friends. Even if we're coaches, we need people to remind us of the stuff that we already know and that we help other people with every day, right? Absolutely. So it's normal to go down that road. And I, one of my all big things is like, be honest with yourself about the pain. When you're honest with yourself about the pain, you're able to properly give yourself credit for how hard you're fighting right? And for the the progress that you've made. So it's okay to go down that road. Um, For me, it hit me this week as today is Halloween, that Halloween was Michelle's favorite holiday. And that means her birthday is coming up. Veterans Day 1111 out here in the US. And that means the death anniversary is coming up. So that all just kind of hit me today. Um, So far, doing okay, though. It hasn't hit me on a deep level yet. We'll see what the rest of the fall and winter bring. Um, What were we talking about today? I forgot. (laughs) You have grief brain, John. Oh, that's right. We're talking about about grief grief brain. brain. All right, let's get into it. Start us off. Okay, so first up, we'll talk about, you know, what is grief brain and why does it happen? So very basically, Grief experts describe grief brain as your brain being overloaded by all the emotions of grief, which leaves very little room for everyday thoughts. Brain fog happens because your brain will interpret grief as trauma and begin to shut down in order to protect itself. But we will talk a little bit more about that as we proceed through the episode. So John, how about we talk about some of the common effects of grief brain? Let's do it. So short-term memory loss can be one. Lack of attention and focus is a very big one. Yep. Our decision-making can be impacted. Our information processing speed is also impacted. 
right? Confusion, right? Just confusion about certain things or confusion about every damn thing. We have trouble with our ability to choose words and express ourselves with the right language. The ability to retain information can be a problem. Even at times, the ability to construct a sentence. Ooh, I'm pretty sure every grieving person I've ever met has this one, lack of motivation. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Sometimes we can have nausea with it. Or irritability. I'm a moody motherfucker as normal. <laughs> I don't even need grief ring. <laughs> we don't want to be around you then. <laughs> Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll quite often actually we'll have feelings of just being numb. Also fatigue, which can be physical um, or cognitive. So true. So we might share some of our own personal experiences with grief brain. All right, let's do that. Give me one. I found that I was often just very spacey and airy, like not with it at all. I remember one time I shaved half my face <laughs> and apparently I forgot to shave the other half <laughs> of my face and I was walking out of my home. A neighbor who was a friend was walking his dog and looked at me and said, uh, <laughs> and I was like, what? And then I went back in the mirror and I fixed what I had done. But yeah, I left my house with only half my face shaved. That was oh, fun. I would have liked to have seen that. <laughs> Something that I'd often do was I'd pick up my phone and start to phone or text Tony. I don't know how many times I did that. Probably for the first maybe eight months, I would do that. Like you go yeah. to text your person, you go to call your person. Um, and that can just be heart-wrenching every time it happens. Yeah. Once you realize that, you know, they're not going to answer the text. They're not going to pick up the call. They're the one person that we shared everything with. And now it feels so lonely that we don't have that person to share all those little things with. Absolutely. The one person you want to talk to the most is the person yeah. that you can't talk to. Misplacing things is a huge thing in grief brain. Oh, yes. Do you have any specific examples of that one? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. But the best is probably the phone. The yeah. amount of times that like, I would be searching for my phone with my phone in my hand. I even think there were a couple times that I was searching for my phone as I was on the phone, like being oh, no. with somebody being like, where the fuck is my phone? Yeah. And they'd be like, well, how are you talking to me? And I'd be yeah. like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> uh, I can relate though. I, like I would often have my glasses, like my sunglasses on my head. I mean, where the fuck did I put my sunglasses? Mm -hmm. And yeah, wouldn't realize too much later they were actually on top of my head. Um, yeah. Another thing I did as far as misplacing things was put my car keys in the freezer. I think I did that Ooh, twice. That's not good. Car keys in the freezer is not good, Mark. No. <laughs> now, before we continue, because we know we're kind of making light of some of the stuff we've done, as we continue on this episode, we're going to talk about like, the fact that this is serious stuff and the science behind some of it, but also the impact it has because grieving people, this can actually take a huge hit on your confidence level, right? Yes. So we're going to make sure that we talk about that as well as we continue this episode. Um, you know, not being able to concentrate, 
I don't know when this happened. Like if you knew the old John, I would have never said I had ADD ever. From the time Michelle got sick, it wasn't even post-death. It was the time she got sick. I completely lost my attention span. And my ability to concentrate was almost nothing for a very long time. Mm. And when you just mentioned it being serious, well, I know because of my lack of concentration, there was, I think it was three times when I was driving, I actually drove through a red traffic light. Yeah. You know, that's pretty serious. So that's... you know, when it happened more than once, it did shock me into thinking, you know, it's not so much me I'm concerned about, but what if I crash into someone else or cause an accident with a family or something? So I did make sure that I kind of really switched on and did things to focus when I was driving. Yeah. I remember I took my daughter and her friend to the mall And we probably spent about three hours in the mall and I came out of the mall and my car was running the whole time. And I left some other valuable stuff in the car. Um, You told me about something as we were talking about, do we want to grief, do a grief brain episode. You told me about the time that you sprayed hairspray under your arms, thinking it was deodorant. (laughs) (laughs) I did do that. And no, I don't have hairy underarms, but yes, I did do that. (laughs) Do you know what I did? And this was multiple times, multiple times. I walked into the shower, either like fully dressed a couple times, or at least like with still one article of clothing on. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, this is something I used to do quite often. I used to just sit down so I might get home from work, just think I just need to sit down for a moment and I'd sit there and I'd just stare into space and I was lost in this spacey world and then I'd think, oh, you know, I must have been here about 30 minutes and I'd look at my watch and, whoa, it's three hours later. It's like time just goes. It, it, there's no time at all. It's just flown by and you've done nothing and, yeah, <laughs> It's crazy feeling. Well, it's interesting that you say that because as I'm talking, you know, I said I would have never said that I had ADD in my life until Michelle got sick. And now ever since she got sick, like I have ADD like a motherfucker. But also like I never spaced out as much as I do now, but I also yeah. enjoy it. And I think part of that is like, you know, my wife was sick for two and a half years. All the things that were going on behind the scenes during she, the time she was sick. What happens when they die? The devastation, the trying to rebuild yourself. Well, the trying to survive, first of all. And then eventually the trying to rebuild yourself. Like this is all exhausting yeah. on every level, on a soul level, on a physical level, on a brain level. And I think a big part of that is why I just like to zone out now. Just like leave me alone for an hour so I can stare at the ceiling. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I get that. I totally get that. Now, this next one, I know I have heard you talk about it before as well, is that I'd be out somewhere in the car and then I'd get home and just sit in the car and not want to go inside. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a number of reasons, you know, don't want to go into an empty house, um, you know, don't want to go in and face that reality, cook dinner for one or whatever it might be. And it's just a time out. It's just like 
a comfortable place, it seems, to just sit there and chill out for a while before going inside. Absolutely. The car became my companion. Whether I would drive around because I didn't want to be in the house by myself or definitely just sitting in the car when I got home for 20 minutes, two hours, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about some serious examples here. We talked about some kind of goofy examples. The other one is that a lot of people struggle with their work. Yeah. Like a job that they have done for two years or 40 years. Now they're struggling with it right? Grief brain is having a big impact on their work performance, what they think they're capable of. And again, that can have an impact on our confidence. So all of this stuff, even the stuff that's kind of goofy, even, you know, a friend that a story your friend has, that's a funny grief brain story, something goofy they did. It does have the ability to seriously impact how we feel about ourselves and our confidence level. Um, Let's get a little bit into the scientific stuff. Yeah, John, I really love all this stuff. So the brain really is an amazing organ and it's hardwired to keep us functional through stressful times. Grief brain is seen as a coping mechanism where the brain is attempting to shield itself from the pain and the trauma of loss. Now we have the prefrontal cortex which is the thinking center of the brain, and it becomes underactive. The anterior cingulate cortex, which is the emotional regulation center of the brain, is also underactive. And the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain, is overactive. So that means the fear center is pretty much controlling the show, and the coherent mind is secondary. This will give us those feelings of not being able to, I guess, like put two and two together. So you're feeling like you're on autopilot, kind of like you're going through the motions, but you're not really present. You can't think logically and you may be feeling stressed and even anxious. In grief, it's typical to encounter a lot of triggers and especially in early grief, it can happen sometimes several times a day. And with each trigger, it's like an alarm goes off in the fear center. And this then sends a whole lot of signals across the brain and the body to get us ready to protect ourselves because the brain has perceived a threat. Over time, these underactive brain regions will become weaker and the amygdala, the fear center, will become stronger and more predominant. This causes the neural pathways between them to be weakened, which is called neuroplasticity. Put simply, neuroplasticity is the capacity of the brain to rewire itself in response to the stimulation of learning and experiences. So as an example, when you're learning a new skill, it's quite normal to practice it a lot so that you become more efficient at it. And in doing this, your brain creates new neural pathways that allow you to remember and improve those skills. However, in grief, trauma or stress, the opposite occurs as bad experiences can rewire the brain in a bad way. This means that your judgment, insight and coherent thoughts are kind of being sidelined. 
And that, folks, concludes my basic lesson of what's happening in the brain during brain fog. Yeah, that makes sense. Sounds pretty accurate to me. Um, now that we have concluded the scientific portion of this podcast, shall we get to a couple listeners' experiences? Let's start with Crystal. Ooh, this is a this is a doozy. <laughs> Crystal, a good one. yeah. Crystal says, "I left my cat in the." <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, it's not funny, but it's funny. Ooh. I left my cat in the refrigerator all night after being widowed. He's still bitter to this day. <laughs> the Ooh. cat hasn't forgotten. <laughs> no. Fuck that. I wouldn't forget either. One of our listeners says, since my husband died, I cannot remember movies I had seen with him prior to his death. But hey, I get to watch movies I've seen before and they're like brand new movies now. Yeah, plus side. I have such memory loss, fogginess, forgetfulness. My brain is just not the same. It's been two years and I still struggle. Yep, I feel that. Cindy says, it has left me stumbling over my words. It has made me forget what I was saying in the middle of a sentence or conversation. I think grief brain is like being gaslit, only you're doing it to yourself. Hmm, That's interesting. I know it has made me feel dumber than a box of rocks. And that goes to what I was saying, which is like this really can impact people's confidence. I see it every day. I know you do too. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Michelle says there are so many things, but the main thing for me is misplacing losing things, just as we both mentioned before. I do this all the time. I created an alter ego at work to explain all my airhead moments. I just blame Muriel for everything. I love that. I love that one. It was was Muriel, not me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Deborah says, for the first several months, I would set multiple alarms on my phone for anything remotely important because no matter how certain I was, there was no way I could forget something. I forgot nearly everything, appointments, phone calls to return, necessary errands to run, et cetera. I love that one. And I know I use it with my clients a lot, like set an alarm for yourself to take your medicines. I mean, I still do that now to this day. And now it's not so much a product of like grief brain as much as it is just like life is crazy and I don't want to forget something. So alarm, alarm, alarm. Yep. Oh, for sure. I'd be lost without my phone alarms. Mary says, I've put the car keys in the fridge, so I'm not the only one, John, (laughs) and was spazzying out because I couldn't find them anywhere. The first couple of years were literally hell with brain fog, and I'd forget about the eggs I was boiling until I'd hear them explode in the pot because all the water had boiled away. Sometimes I still stumble, but I'm definitely getting better after five and a half years. Yeah, look, we received a lot of stories from people about brain fog, memory loss, lack of concentration, you know, can't watch movies or read, misplacing things, losing your train of thought. And a lot of people are worried that it's permanent. So let's talk about that for a second, Carolyn. Yeah, John, with all the symptoms we've talked about, 
a lot of people do fear that there may be some permanent damage to their brain. However, because there is no brain injury, this is not usually the case. And even if there was a brain injury, there are still things that you can do to help. So the good news is that grief brain is temporary, but we still like, would like to know how long does it last? Well, according to Dr. Lisa Schumann, who is a neurologist, a widow, and the author of Healing Your Brain After Loss, a neurologist's perspective on loss, grief, and our brain, it is common for this to be a lengthy process. She says it's not good to pathologize it because just like grief, everyone is different. Dr. Schumann says the main thing is whether you can uh, function in your life and if there are signs of improvement. Though it's important to understand that it is normal to regress slightly from time to time. And look, John, we do want to clarify with our listeners that if your symptoms do persist or they feel like they are getting worse, please go and see your doctor. As a general rule of thumb, grief brain will gradually improve over time. Something that can also happen is that when your loved one is alive, they may have been compensating for your memory loss or brain fog so that it wasn't noticeable. And now that they've died, it might be more noticeable. So it could have been something that was always there a little bit. And the other thing we often hear people saying is things like, it's been 10 years since my husband died and I still have grief brain. It's important to remember that you're also 10 years older. So it could be that it is part of the natural aging process. You know, as somebody who has multiple sclerosis, there's a lot of times that I'm like, is this grief brain? Is this MS? Is this just because I'm like stressed out with whatever's happening in my life? So, I mean, I do think it's important that, you know, we just keep a eye on ourselves. We can't necessarily say everything is grief brain. It's just keep an eye on yourself, zone in on yourself, see if there are improvements, et cetera. That's right, John. And that's so important to mention because the stresses of normal daily life can give you that brain fog. Yes, 100%. I mean, life is difficult before we lost somebody who we love with our whole heart, right? 100%. For sure. So what can help your grief brain? Ideally, the aim is to strengthen those neural pathways in the brain that we spoke of before. And the brain will often use many defense mechanisms to hide difficult emotions and memories. However, Dr. Schumann says that you cannot heal without getting back in touch with these. And that reminds me of the saying, you cannot heal what you don't feel. Now, this will also create and strengthen those pathways so that when we face a trigger, we will logically know that it's completely normal and we can manage it without feeling so out of control. Let's look at some other things that can help, shall we? We shall. (laughs) I don't know why I said shall we. I don't normally say shall we, but okay, let's run with it. (laughs) We talk about the top-down and bottom-up approaches to brain change. Top-down techniques are those that use thoughts or the mind 
and bottom-up techniques produce brain change using the body. And we'll be sharing some of both of those approaches right now. Give us our first one, Carolyn. It's important to not try and rush the grieving process or push down your emotions. Next one, and this is easier said than done. We realize that. Don't hate me for saying it. I know <laughs> it's not easy. Try to reduce or eliminate ha, 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 stressors. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> we can try if only. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Another big one is rest. Get support, whether it's through a coach, a therapist, a group, friends, get support. Practice mindfulness and grounding techniques. Meditation is a big one, and it's been a big one for me, and we talked about that in a past episode. I don't meditate like you normally think of meditation because I can't because my brain is weird. Um, what I do is I will just go into nature and stare at a piece of nature. I will pick out a tree, a bush, a flower, and I will just stare at it. And that's my form of meditation. Yeah, absolutely. And with all of these, it's about finding what works for you. We're, mm -hmm. we're not saying you have to go out and do all of these things. It's finding what helps you. Right. And another good one is to engage socially because quite often we might isolate ourselves a bit more than what we did before. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to like just your social skills. Yeah. So let's just say you're a widowed person and like, you know, your spouse was your person and they were your world and then they pass away and your world becomes very small. And then let's say COVID hits and yeah. we were all locked in the house for a while. Like we lose our social skills. So for a million reasons, getting out and being social and communicating can help you through this process. Making things to-do list and notes for yourself, such as post-it notes. Yes, I love that one. One of my favorites. Set reminders on your phone. Yeah, we talked about that one earlier with the alarms. Um, try new things, learn new things, play games, like Anything you can do to try to get your brain going. You know, if you love to read and now you can't read anymore. Okay. Well, like maybe playing a board game, right? Something new. Now we spoke a bit earlier about how work can often be hard. So another suggestion is to tell your employer what you're experiencing. They may be able to make some slight changes or help you out with some things that you need in the workplace. Ask for help. Like, yeah. ask for help. Like, ask your family, ask your friends. I know some people have incredibly small circles. I did as well. But if there are people in your life that you can ask for a helping hand, outsource some of your responsibilities as you try to get back on your feet, do it. Yeah, yeah. Something else that can be helpful is connecting with your spirituality, and that can be whatever that means for you. You know, one of the big ones that people talk about is like, don't make any decisions in the first year. Generally, I agree with that. I, I think some people take things a little too to heart, where like sometimes it's okay to make a decision. But generally speaking, try not to make any huge decisions. 
if you know that your brain is not currently operating the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that. However, sometimes, as we said, you do have to make Mm -hmm. those big decisions, as was my case. Like I bought a home um, within that first year. So, um, yeah, these are ideal situations sometimes, I guess. Right. But, um, you know, you've got to do what you can within your own life experiences. Now, I know this next one. People are very resistant to this word, these words, but that's because y'all have never learned self-care from John Polo or Carolyn Gower because we teach self-care the right way. So self-care, I won't get into it because I could talk about it for 16 hours straight, Um, but self-care is another big thing when we're trying to kind of help our brain out right? 100%. And in line with that, also yoga can be really good. Um, talking about the the bottom-up approach using the body, there, there's a lot of yoga techniques and moves that are quite simple that are really helpful to the brain. So, you know, if that's something you might be interested in, search that out as well. You know, I've never done yoga in my life, but when we move to California next year, they have yoga on the beach and I'm doing it on the beach. Yeah, I'm probably going to make a complete ass of myself because I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Can can you wait till I come to visit sometime so I can (laughs) see you first time? (laughs) No. Well, actually, yeah, if you come next around next July, I can wait a month or two. If you're going to come around that time. Um, so in addition to grief brain and, you know, ADD, if I actually have that, which I think I do, you and I also both have other things with our brain because I have multiple sclerosis, which affects cognitive function among other things. Um, and you have been gone through what you just went through, had your own issues, Talk yeah. to us about it. Yeah. So I guess um, going through this experience this year has really made me delve a lot deeper into how the brain works and, and what can help. So um, as I was waking up from the coma, I experienced delirium, which my kids had been told was very common. And as I've mentioned in a previous episode, it was like I was living in a different reality and I was really confused. And one day during that time, my son Dylan brought in one of Tony's T-shirts and he'd sprayed it with Tony's favourite fragrance, which was One Million, just to try and arouse me with something familiar. And I vaguely remember it. And um, the T-shirt that he brought in was a white T-shirt and I'd been sleeping with that T-shirt under my pillow since Tony died and the kids had found that T-shirt, you know, under my pillow and and that's when he decided to bring it in. But when I actually saw it this day, uh, as I said, I was still quite confused and instead of seeing the white T-shirt, my brain saw a bright blue dress shirt with the collar and buttons. But I do remember that familiar smell of Tony's cologne And the kids said, I just held onto it and cuddled into it with this big, silly smile on my face. And um, 
yeah, they they had a bit of a laugh at what I was doing with this shirt. But <laughs> the reason I bring that up is just because it's just so strange, so fascinating how our brain works during these times. Like here's this white T-shirt and to me it clearly looked like a blue dress shirt. So, um, yeah, our mind does all these fascinating things. But after that, you know, over the next several weeks, I became a lot more coherent and it was more the short-term memory loss and trouble-finding words that really bothered me. And I remember thinking I felt like I had a really severe case of grief brain. I was getting worried that I wouldn't be able to coach again or do this podcast again because I just couldn't find the words that I was looking for. And sometimes I was even calling things by a completely different name, which was really weird. So as I said, I I just find all that fascinating, um, the effects of trauma on the brain. And, um, you know, I've now worked through grief brain, then this post-coma brain, and I've learned a lot of stuff about it, you know, what's helped me. And that's why, you know, I'd like to share a lot of these tips with you as well, because I feel that it could be really helpful in grief brain too. So John, would you like to help me share these tips with our listeners? Let's do it. So first one I'm going to say is don't be too hard on yourself. Like give yourself some damn grace. This is an actual thing. You have been through hell on earth. You are trying to survive it. You are trying to rebuild yourself. You are trying to rebuild your life. Don't be too hard on yourself. Lower your expectations as far as you're not going to be perfect. And, you know, I'm going to use you and me as an example. Like, I have MS. That's a condition that can affect your cognitive function. I am on coaching calls all day. I'm still doing my job and I'm still doing it well, right? I deal with the symptoms of the illness. You are back to coaching. You are back doing this podcast. Like maybe there are moments where you have a, oh, I forgot what I was going to say in the moment, or you stumble upon a word. You are still doing your job and you are still doing it well. So like we can deal with the issues at hand and we're going to keep going down this list here of some helpful tips, use these tips And we can still function. We can still move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I found just pacing myself during the day. So I will do something. I will allow a little bit of rest time before I do something else. So that pacing the activities during the day has been extremely helpful. I talked about this in the Camp Widow keynote at the end of it. Rest you can use rest as a reward. Like, yeah. okay, well, you know, we, we're going to work Monday through Friday and then we're going to rest on the weekend. You can use it as a reward, but it is also a requirement. Yes. It allow is. your mind, allow your body, allow everything to rest. Um, again, going back to self-care. Now, again, when Carolyn and I teach it, we teach it in a million different ways, but let's just look at the really basic versions of self-care try to get sleep, try to eat well, try to move your body. All of these things can actually help with grief brain. Oh, for sure. And especially sleep, John, I think sleep is 
so underestimated how important it is. Um, and I found, you know, the tighter I get, the more brain fog I have, the more my words, you know, just stumbled. So for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely super, super important. And as well, prioritize tasks. So what needs to be done today? What can wait? Writing down things as soon as they pop into your mind can be helpful. Now, whether that's with a piece of paper or on the notes section of your phone. I don't know why I think this, but like, I'll, I'll take grief brain out of it for a second. Some of my most creative ideas for work come up at night at like 1142 PM when I'm trying to sleep. And I'm always like, Oh, that's such a good idea. Like, no, you don't have to roll over and like, you know, put it into your phone. You won't forget it. Cause that's a brilliant idea. I always forget it. Oh, right? so like, Write it down with a pen and paper on the note section of your phone, whatever it is. Yep. Yep. Same. I do that too. All the best ideas come at the worst times, but write yep. them down. Cause yeah, I always forget as well. Mm -hmm. I guess, um, simplify things as much as you can, especially in the early days. So looking at the early days of grief, there's a lot going on. So by simplifying things where you can, as we talked about before, asking for help, outsourcing what you can, making things a little bit easier on yourself. Yep. Be patient with yourself. Know your limitations. Now, um, I mentioned before about myself driving through some red traffic lights. So keep safe, especially when you are driving or as a pedestrian, if you have to use machinery at work or at home, just um, keep in mind that your mind not be functioning at 100%. So keep as safe as possible. I know I briefly touched on this earlier, but exercise, moving your body is something that can be incredibly helpful. There's actually been research done that shows that exercise can offer mental and social stimulation while improving blood flow to the brain. Be aware of cognitive fatigue as well as physical fatigue. Cognition is the medical term for thinking. It can involve mental processes such as problem solving, remembering and learning. You can feel fatigue from your mind being switched on even when you think it's not. And I found this sometimes when I might be sitting watching my grandchildren play, but my mind is still switched on because I'm taking notice of what they're doing and making sure that they stay safe. While this usually comes naturally, when you're in the early days of grief brain or such, it can cause fatigue quite easily. And the biggest game changer for me, focus on one thing at a time. As I mentioned, I was really scared that I wouldn't be able to do this podcast or coaching again, but I can. And I know it's because I'm using the strategies that I've been talking about and I'm only focusing on what I'm doing now in the present moment. And look, I completely understand that this can be hard to do, whether it's in your workplace or as a solo parent. However, by applying some of these other tips and making a few changes, 
you will be sure to notice improvements. And the thing is, these improvements will build your confidence, which is so important as we've discussed before. And this in turn will relieve the stress and bring further improvements. So I'm going to give you a a bit of an example of something that happened to me last week. I had my list of what I was going to do for the day and I was out in the car for appointments. I had everything under control. I had my list. I knew what I was doing. I'd allowed plenty of time. And then I randomly got a message from a friend asking me to do something else. And at first I kind of freaked out a bit because I knew what I was doing and now I had to remember something else to do when I got home later. What if I forgot? All of a sudden, my mind was a jumbled mess of the things that I had to do and I started to feel really anxious. Then I kind of took a step back and I became aware of what I was doing and stopped myself right there and then. I remembered that it's normal for my brain to still be a bit forgetful at the moment, but I knew what I needed to do. I had my phone with me so I could set a reminder for later on when I was at home and then I wouldn't forget to do it. That then allowed me to get back to focusing on what I was doing at the time, what I had to do on my list, without worrying about something that I didn't need to think about just yet. And that's where it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, creating those neural pathways in our brain by putting these strategies in place. So basically what we're saying is if you go out and you forgot to shave half your face. Or (laughs) if you put your cat in the freezer, don't beat yourself up too much. It's normal, it's okay, and in time, it will ease. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowercoaching.com and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.